such a good morning already. So exciting of all that's going on. Sonia, I'm so excited of how you've fallen in love more and more with Alistair, but thank you for not allowing him to wear that shirt today. And all that you gained, you still were wise, and I'm proud of you for doing that. So well done. Well done. Just want to um, also welcome Adele. Where did she sneak off to? She was right here. Okay, well, Adele's back. If she asked, I did say she's back. So Adele's back. When you see her, give her a hug. Give her some love. Marcus is back next week, and he'll be with us next week Sunday. But um, I know they've been away. They'll next week share a lot of what they've been up to, seeing family, ministering a whole lot. And uh, it's good just to see how, how the COVID's settling down, that we still are able to be apostolic. Please, y'all, do listen out to those trips. I know Barry's got a couple of trips to Lesotho being planned. Those are great trips over a weekend. Um, it's a four-hour drive, and there's great communities that are blessed by what you have to give. And so fantastic. So I'm going to ask if you can turn your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 9. Work your way to verse 26. Just a reminder that we've been working quite a bit through the book of Acts. We're continuing with the book of Acts. And we're going to continue for the foreseeable future working through the book of Acts. Just a quick reminder of where we are. We see right in the beginning, the church is birthed. The church begins and uh, we see men and women have this gospel message, the message that Jesus is the Son of God. He's the promised Savior that God has been promising for thousands of years, that He came, that He died, and they witnessed that death. And then Jesus resurrected. He rose from the dead, which is a miracle, an incredible miracle, but they witnessed that as well. And now being filled with the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, the Spirit dwelling in them. And we, we sang quite a bit of that this morning, if you listened. Lord, pour your Spirit out. We need a fresh wind. Uh, Holy Spirit, come and fill this atmosphere. And I was just thinking this, just, just I mean, to challenge maybe your picture of it, is when we sing that, we shouldn't be looking up in this open-aired room and say, Lord, can you be present in this place? Because... The gospel says this, that when you and I come to salvation, the Spirit says, I'm going to dwell within you. He lives inside of us. He makes us a home. We become a holy temple, and the Spirit says, I want to live inside of you. So when we sing in, Lord, would you come? Don't look around the room for him, but say, Lord, in the pits of where my soul and my spirit is, there you are too. Can you actually make me be far more aware of your presence than perhaps I am right now? So not looking outward, look inward in the very temple that you've become and say, Lord, come reign in me. That word of Cindy's of surrender is surrendering. Holy Spirit, I surrender to you. May you, Lord, may your atmosphere be here, but may it be in me, in my heart, in my spirit. And if you want the spirit to be present here, imagine a room of people who've allowed the spirit to be so um, uh, authoritative, so leading in our hearts. If that's all of us, the spirit is here and he's moving well. And so the, this church is led by the Spirit that Jesus promised, and they start to reach people in Jerusalem and beyond. One man who's impacted is a man named Saul, who also has the name Paul, and you'll see it, it's interchangeable, and later on it, it, um, he's, he's called predominantly Paul. But he meets Jesus in such an amazing way. He's, he's, um, he's against the gospel message. He despises the name of Jesus. And so his mission is to arrest as many Christians as he can and possibly even see them be put to death. And so he's on a trip to Damascus to go and arrest Christians. He's got the warrant of arrest with him. And on that trip, he has this incredible encounter with Jesus. He sees Jesus. Jesus speaks to him. He's blinded by it. 
But in that moment, his heart is changed forever. His heart comes to life. There's a faith within Paul that he confesses Jesus as Lord and Savior. He believes that Jesus is the promised Son of God. And so he too starts telling people all about Jesus straight off the bat. He doesn't try and work out what's going on. He says, Jesus, it's you. You filled all those gaps. And he starts telling people about Jesus immediately in Damascus. And immediately, he faces persecution, which is quite ironic. Seeing that he went there to persecute, he's now going to face persecution. So much so that the disciples there have to smuggle him out the city and uh, just to save his life. And now, he's on his way back to Jerusalem, where he left. Where, when he left, he left with this warrant of arrest. Now he's going back a Christian. And he's going back to go and meet the church. And that's where we are now in this, in this uh, book. So Acts chapter 9, verse 26. Let's read it together. And when he had come to Jerusalem, speaking about Paul, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him. And how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists. Hellenists were the Greek-speaking Jews. But they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church Throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. It's a great passage. It's a great continuation of the story. And what's amazing to see is the continuation of the mix of joys and troubles that Paul would, would experience in his life and in his ministry. His ministry is characterized by Powerful preaching of the gospel. We continually see that with Paul. Straight from his salvation, he continually preaches the gospel. And we'll say he preached boldly the message of Jesus. And as he preaches this message, we see the kingdom of God expands. It expands from one city to another, from one nation to another, and even to continents. That's the impact Paul's gospel preaching has on the world but equally we then find he faces persecution and that's his lot in life. He faces challenge and he faces resistance. His life has often been threatened. And the truth is, church, is that's gonna be our lot in life for us who believe in Jesus is that we are gonna be ones who need to continually preach the gospel, but we equally would face pushback. We need to be aware that the more and more we tell people, the more and more we tell regions, the more and more we go into nations and tell them about the gospel, there's going to be a persecution that would come against us. You might see it, and it often happens. Michael Eaton, he, he, he speaks about how we long for revival, and we long to see the kingdom of God advancing. He says it's like a two-sided coin. And the one side is you're going to see the revival, but the other side of the coin is you're going to see persecution too. And that should not stop us. Funny enough, Paul, who, and as I said, who's facing persecution, was the one who was persecuting before. But here's the encouragement I want us to grasp from what Paul kept doing, is that we should never stop seeing the gospel going out. It didn't stop Paul in church. No matter what we face, we should never be a man and woman who stop proclaiming the gospel. No matter what the world says, 
No matter what current culture would declare of us, no matter what friends or family or even confessed enemies would bring against you or me, the gospel can never be stopped being told to this world. We have one message, church, one message, and it's the person, the Lord, the Savior, Jesus Christ. He is our message, nothing else. Jesus is the one who will cause offense. He's the one who will challenge this world. Jesus will be the one who will be a light that will shine into the darkest of places in this world and many people will despise that. Many systems will despise it. Even governments will despise it. And it's happened for the 2,000 years that this gospel message has existed, being proclaimed that Jesus is the Lord and Savior. Look at the history of the church. Look how many times nations and governments and people have tried to destroy the Bible have tried to destroy the church or the gospel, but they never, ever can. In fact, the disciples say when they're told to stop preaching this message, they say, who do we listen to? To you, men, or to God? I'm sorry, we choose to be obedient to God and his word will continue to go out and to go out and go out. I want to encourage us, church, the gospel will always prevail. The kingdom of God will always advance. And so us, we don't stop. We don't shrink back. We don't change the message. Don't stop telling people about Jesus just because they're offended by him. Tell them about him. Because what this world needs above all else is this person, Jesus. You and I, we need a person, Jesus. That's who we need. And our lives will fall into life and into hope and into joy. Tell the world about Jesus. Paul does this. Notice then that when he comes back to Jerusalem, the church is fearful of him. They're afraid of him. So either they didn't hear about Paul's salvation or they don't believe that Paul could be saved. I don't know if you've ever had that with certain people. You think you could never be saved. Those are great days when you see someone walk into church and you never thought that person would ever walk into church and they've come to know Jesus. But they stay away from him. And sadly, that can easily happen to many new believers. I don't know if there's anyone in the room, you might feel a bit like this. Perhaps you're new to the faith. Perhaps you've recently believed in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you might feel a little bit lost in what you need to do. You might know you need to be in church. Perhaps you find yourself here, but you know, I need to be here. I need to be amongst other Christians. I need to, I need to learn. I need to grow. I need help. How do I, how do I live this life? You know that something is happening in the depths of your heart and you don't exactly know how to explain it, but you find yourself here and you might feel a bit lost. You might feel a little bit outside. I remember when I first came here to this church and I was a little bit lost because I came up, I grew up in a very traditional church and God let me be there for a number of years. And then he said, clearly, Greg, you need to leave and you need to go find a new church. And the one that I tried wasn't good, it wasn't great. Um, not because of who they were, just because of things that they would, yeah, it was, it, was, it, was, it was different. And I found myself here because I'd heard of this church and I tried my best to sneak in here and I snuck around the back. You would never believe this. I had a big curly afro. That's another story for another day. But I snuck in around the back and I sat right around there where you guys are. Except it was very different back then. Our, our deaf community sat over there and I tried to blend in really well, but I sat with the deaf community not knowing that that was the case. And they were warm and they were loving towards me and the youth sat here and somebody said, you know the youth sits there, don't you? It's like, yeah, yeah, I know that, I know that. But I was lost. I was so unsure. I was needing a home. I was needing a place to grow as a Christian. And I remember sitting there, clear as day, I remember it. And I just said, Lord, 
if this is where you want me to be, please just send somebody to come talk to me. Just please. And the meeting happened and I waited there for about a minute. And by God's good grace, a young guy by the name of Jonathan, he's no longer here, but he came and he said, hello. And he introduced himself. He got to know me and he said, hey, can I introduce you to some guys? And they were right here and he brought me to some people here and I got to meet them. And they said, hey, why don't you come join our life group? It's happening on Tuesday. It was about a 25 minute drive from where I stayed, but I was desperate for home. I needed a place because I was lost. And I said, I'll, I'll go, I'll be there. I don't know where I'm going, but I'll be there. And off I went and I drove and there were people just like me, men and women and young guys. Lo and behold, my wife was even in that group. And um, I didn't know it then. Ooh, sure. <laughs> that marriage course is really doing good on you guys, eh? But um, just that moment, that moment of, Lord, please, can you just get someone to come speak to me? And God did. And so in this passage, I'm just saying, thank you, Lord, for the Barnabases. For the Barnabases. Barnabas was the guy, when the church was so afraid of Paul, he said, no, wait a minute. He chose to reach out to Saul. And all he did was he said, tell me your story. What happened? Paul tells him about Damascus, what happened. His eyes being blind, Ananias came, prayed for me. I'm preaching the gospel. And then he said, all, all he did was he, he introduced him to other people. He takes Saul to meet other Christians. Imagine if that moment didn't happen. Imagine how that could have um, stopped Saul's ministry from happening or slowed it right down if the church was so afraid of a new believer. We need Barnabas in our lives. And we, church, we need to be like Barnabas. We have to be like him. We need to look out for, reach out for, get to know people here who seem new or a little unsure. And all we need to do is just hear people's story. And just introduce him to those, of the, those who are around you. I wonder how many men and women have come through this building. And God has said he's got such incredible great plans for them. And all they need is somebody in this place to be Barnabas for that morning. Perhaps this morning you might feel the way I felt. And you're saying, Lord, please send a Barnabas my way. Well, here's the good news. We've got a whole lot of Barnabases who are going to go to the lounge. And they're going to say, you come find us. We'll be there. We might not know where you are. But you go to the lounge. You can meet them. Even the prayer would be for us who are here. Look around the room after this meeting. Just go shake someone's hand and say, hey, I haven't met you. Who are you? Where are you from? Tell me your story. And that could set someone's ministry. That could set someone's call. That could change someone's life like it did for Paul. And so we trust God for the Barnabases in our lives. And we trust that Lord, Lord you'd use us to be like Barnabas. We then see Paul continues to preach the gospel even there in Jerusalem. And it's amazing how he's once colleagues, his comrades, possibly his friends have now turned their back on him. The very men who were around him when Stephen was being killed now want to kill him. And again, for some of you who are new believers, you might notice that now that you are telling people that you believe in Jesus, you go to church, they might look at you differently. They might not want to know you. They might not invite you out anymore because you've joined this cult called church. On Sunday mornings, you go to this place called church when you could be playing golf with the guys or you could be doing something different. You could be going to the markets or wherever. Or on Friday nights, you're not doing that anymore. You could lose your friends. You might even lose your family. They might start to persecute you. You know, even Jesus' own family doubted him. There was a moment when they tried to call him away from the crowd and said, Jesus, what are you doing? You're making a fool of yourself. And Jesus says, they're all my family. You and you and you are my family, not just them. Even John, his cousin, who at the start of Jesus' ministry says, there's Jesus, the Lamb of God, the Savior of the world. 
A few months later, John's in prison and he sends a letter to Jesus. Jesus, are you really the Savior? What are you doing? It happened even to Jesus that there was this rejection, this concern, this question mark. But perhaps your friends and your family, just like with Paul, are saying, actually, we don't like who you've become. And you might even face persecution or rejection. I want to encourage this morning that God knows that. He knows that that can happen. And that's why God says he would never allow you to remain lonely. But he puts you into this family. God says this is his kingdom. And he welcomes you into his kingdom. He calls you son. He calls you daughter. He says, call me father. And he says, be a part of this family. Yes, we're a bit strange a lot of the times. But we're good. And we'll love and we'll care. And we'll be there for one another. And God says, I've got a home for you and I've got a future for you and I've got a purpose for you. And I want to encourage you, if you've done that recently, if you feel that, know that you aren't just alone in your faith and your salvation, but Jesus gives us a home. It then speaks about how they send Paul off, again, to avoid this persecution, back home to Tarsus. And um, he spends about eight to ten years there. And we don't know too many details of what happened to Paul there, but we can assume a few things. We can assume Paul continued to preach the gospel because he he did that from, from the beginning. We can assume that he potentially kept working out this gospel. Paul would have known the Old Testament really well. He would have known the prophecies, the promises of the Messiah. He would have had a hope for the Messiah. So possibly in those eight to 10 years, he said, okay, Jesus, show me. Show me where you are in this Old Testament. Show me about the prophets. And it would have just clicked and clicked and clicked. Oh, that's about you. And that's about you. Oh, and you're the lamb at the Passover. Oh, and you're the one who's promised here. And in the Psalms, it's talking about you, Jesus. And the gospel would have just been made so assured to him that he would have kept growing. Perhaps there were things in his life God wanted to change and mature and to take away. But what's great about this is it almost seems like a quieter season for Paul where God was preparing for something more. And I want to encourage some of you this morning, have you ever felt that you've been in a quieter season in life? Where perhaps you're wondering like, Lord, I I don't feel like I'm taking as much ground as I should. Or I don't feel like I'm changing the world the way I should. Lord, it feels a bit slow. I feel like I should be doing far more, but God's got you where he wants you to be. God got Paul where he wanted to be. Again, I I think about my life as an example. Growing up in a very traditional church where um, maybe all that I learned there wasn't the best for me, but it wasn't a waste of time. I met Jesus there. I got to fall in love with this person there. And when God said it's time to go, God said it's time to go. And now I'm a, I'm a pastor. Here I stand as an elder in this church, which is an incredible privilege. But I first studied something very differently. And Was that a waste of time? No, no, God said, that's where I want you to be. God put in my heart when I was about 16, 17 years old to be a teacher. And he put that in my heart and it was actually off the back of watching a really cool movie, Kindergarten Cop. Have you guys watched that? I'm sure it's on the IMDb top five movies of all time list. If Arnold Schwarzenegger could make teaching cool, I thought I could do this too. But I didn't follow that. And I said, no, 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 I'm going to study something differently. Was that a waste of time? No. God said, I'm going to mature you in this. Until after four years of studying, God said, cool, I want you back at teaching. That's what I put in your heart. Go do it. I taught for nine years. Was that a waste of time? No. God said, I've got you where I want you to be. I'm going to teach you. I'm going to mature you. I'm going to raise you up. I'm going to show you people. I'm going to work on your heart. God did that. I longed for a long time to be on this eldership team with my wife, Nicole. And we waited and we waited. Was that, was, were those years wasted? No. We were immature. God had to teach us and to raise us, and here we are now. I want to encourage you that perhaps you feel like you're in a season of waiting. 
Paul had eight to 10 years. But look what happened in that eight to 10 years when he was in the place where God wanted him to be. All that I'm sure that he did, and here's the encouragement in those waiting seasons, always do whatever you can to pursue more and more of God. Always seek to have God's presence, more of his presence, more of his voice, learning more how to obey, learning more how to know to be led by God. Because what happens when Paul's released after those 10 years, this incredible mission begins. This mission that seems, sees churches planted in regions and nations and continents. We see the majority of the New Testament being written in these letters he writes to the churches. And that all came out of 10 years of God preparing him and raising him up. I don't know how you feel right now and what season you feel you're in right now. You might feel like you're in a bit of a, um, in, in, in the quiet winds. You feel like you're just bobbing on the ocean. I promise you this, if you learn in this season to pursue after God, to know him, know his presence, know his voice, know how when he says to go, you know how to hear that voice and go, the winds are coming. The winds are coming and before you know it, that master sets and you're gonna be going in the very direction and purpose God's got for you. Enjoy these quieter moments. See God's hand in your past, see his hand in your presence and allow him to have his way in your future. I wanna end this morning just by looking at a really good summary verse for the church and it's verse 31. It says, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and the church will have seasons of peace. And then it says this, they were being built up, walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. They walked in the fear of the Lord. I wanna look quickly at what that means. It's not often preached about the fear of the Lord, but yet it's all over in scripture. It's mentioned throughout the Bible. I want to throw some verses quickly your way. They will appear on here. You can maybe write them down and you can think about them at home. But look at these verses as we unpack this idea of the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 28, 14 says, Blessed is the one who fears the Lord always. Blessed are you. Happy are you if you fear the Lord always. Philippians 2, verse 12 to 13. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Even in your salvation, day after day after day, keep working this thing out with a fear and a trembling. Nehemiah 1.11 says, O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name. There's a delight in fearing God. There's a joy in fearing God. I want to break it down this morning to two types of fears that we could have. And both of these fears are all determined by our relationship with Jesus. If we find ourselves outside of Jesus, meaning we do not know him as Lord and as Savior, we have not accepted his grace, we have not accepted his salvation, we don't have salvation, there is a real fear of God that you need to have. You are going to fear God's authority. You are going to fear God's wrath. We hardly talk about God's wrath, but it's there in the Bible. God has wrath. You're going to fear God's punishment. You're going to fear God's judgment. There's a fear that people have of God when they're not found in Jesus. Jesus speaks about, if you do not have me, there'll come a day, there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's a fearful picture. And Jesus says, without me, that is something to fear. 
I think about in the Old Testament when the nations heard that this nation of Israel is coming their way and they hear of their God and what their God did in Jericho and what their God did to the Philistines and what their God did there. There was this fear of the God who was coming to them and they could have chosen to follow God, but they said, no, we've got our own gods, but we fear that God. I think about in, in, in the book of Acts when Peter preaches the gospel about how you persecuted Jesus and that men and women were cut to the heart. There was this fear and they said, how do we respond? What do we do? Well, choose Jesus. Be in him. Don't be outside of him. There's a different fear there. Even the demons display their fear of the might of God, the punishment of God. When they see Jesus coming, they say, Jesus, are you, are you persecuting us now? Is the time come now? We know you are the son of God. Please don't don't punish us now, rather send us to those pigs for the time being. It was a fear outside of Jesus that men and women, nations, the demons have of the might, the wrath, the punishment and judgment of God. But here's the different fear. It's when we find ourselves in Jesus. When we are saved in him, there's still a fear that we have, but it changes in Isaiah 11, 1 verse 2, it says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. A branch from his root shall bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. This is speaking about Jesus. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. Speaking of Jesus, it says how even Jesus would have this, this, this sense of a fear towards the Father, but it's different. It's a sense of obedience. It's a sense of honor. Jesus says, I will do what the Father does. I will say what the Father says. Even Jesus will have this awe and respect for his Father. Deuteronomy 10 verse 12 to 13 says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord, your God, walk in all his ways, love him, serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, Keep the commandments, the statues of the Lord, and I am com um, which I am commanding you today for your good. This is how we ought to live with the fear of, the, of, of God. In a pl place of, in Christ, we are ha to have this fear of God. The context becomes so key when it uses this word fear. The fear that you and I ought to live with is a sense of awe, a sense of reverence, a sense of wonder and worship toward God. That is the fear that this context is talking about. When we are in Jesus Christ, we walk with a fear of God. It's an awe, a reverence, a humility before him. I think of, I think of John. John's a great picture of it. John the disciple. There's a picture of John at the Last Supper where he's so close to Jesus, he rests his head upon his chest. But that same John writing about this vision he has, this revelation mentioned in the book of Revelation, he sees Jesus again the same Jesus, he rests his head upon his chest and he drops down as though dead. The same person he meets, but there's this awe, this reverence. That's not a fear of, I don't want to be with you. That's a fear of, you are amazing. And my heart just, just bows before you in surrender. How glorious, Lord, you are that it causes a man who could rest his head upon the chest of Jesus to fall down as though dead because of the glory and the wonder of who he is we see in 1 John 4, 18, it describes it so well. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. There it's talking about when you are in Jesus, 
you no longer fear his punishment. You no longer fear God's wrath. You no longer fear God's judgment. You are saved. But the fear changes. It changes to an awe and a reverence. Let me explain it to you in this, in this last picture. Now, I don't have phobias that I'm aware of, um, but if I did have a fear that was up there, it would be for lightning, right? I think it's a healthy fear. I don't know if any of you like to play with lightning. That doesn't look fun for me at all. But I have a fear of like thunderstorms, right? If, I, if there was a thunderstorm outside and I had to run to my car, there's a Chris Tomlin song that we used to sing, and there's a line that says, you, cause, you tell every lightning bolt where it should go. I sing that every time I need to go outside when there's a, a, a thunderstorm. Because I'm like, Lord, I'm pretty sure you're not asking it to land on me, but I would run. Lord, you cause every lightning bolt where it should go. And I get to the car, I live today to tell that story. But if I'm outside of safety, if I'm outside of a building, I'm petrified. But a lightning storm is dangerous. It could take my life like that. It is powerful. There's an authority in it. It's booming and it's loud and I'm fearful of it. But there's a difference. When I'm inside a safe place, when I'm in this building or if I'm at home, I love thunderstorms. You'll find me sitting by the window just in awe and wonder of the booming lights across across the sky, the orchestra of thunder that's just um, uh, booming up into the sky, the strikes that come down are just picturesque. I love watching a thunderstorm. I love watching lightning when I'm in a safe place. And that's exactly how it is with us before God. When we are not in Christ, we are to fear. Because there's an authority, a power that could harm us if we're not in a safe place. But when we come in Christ, that same thunderstorm changes that we look at it now with an awe and a reverence and a wonder. It says here that the church walked in the fear of the Lord. They weren't afraid to be with God. They walked with a, a, a reverence to God, an honor to God. Their lives belonged to him now. There was no one greater that they could ever follow. When they thought of God, their thought was grand and glorious, and that caused how they would walk and live their days. And they could approach God. The encouragement is to run away from that fear into a new fear. And it's all about being found in Jesus. And then lastly, it says they walked in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. In the midst of difficulties, in the midst of persecution, they found comfort from who? The one who Jesus promised would give them comfort. And it's all over the book of Acts. You see, straight from the beginning, in, at the day of Pentecost, it says the disciples were full of the Spirit. Peter, full of the Spirit, stands up and proclaims the gospel. It says, call seven of you who could serve, but they must be full of the Spirit. It speaks about Stephen before he's killed. Stephen, full of the Spirit, speaks to the leaders. It speaks about Philip, full of the Spirit, meets this eunuch on the road. Paul, full of the Spirit, the church, full of the Spirit. We are to be a church who walks in the fear of the Lord, in an awe and a reverence and a grandeur of who he is. And we are to be a church who walks with the Spirit, full of the Spirit, comforted by him in our most times of need, needing him to lead us to the great things that he's called us to. What's the result, church? Multiplication and growth. There is life in that place. So this is still for us, that we walk in this, we have this relationship with God and this. We live in the fear of God and the comfort of the Spirit. So I'm gonna ask, could you stand as we close this meeting? I wanna pray for us. It's a wonderful encouragement here through Barnabas, through Paul, 
through the church and how they are. And the challenge for us is that we would, in this week, bring our hearts before God. I'm going to ask if you're happy to, you could bow your head or close your eyes if you'd like. Just, just maybe for you to ponder for yourself, Lord, what do I take home from today? What do I take home from people being welcomed in? Or what do I take home from us singing? What do I take home from that incredible report back of Tanzania? What do I take back, Lord, from your word that's here? But I want to I pray for anybody here this morning that perhaps you are fearful of God with the wrong fear. Perhaps you're like, Greg, I'm still fearful of God's wrath, judgment, and punishment because I'm not in Jesus. You're right. You're absolutely right to fear God's judgment because the promise is that that judgment will come. But salvation is promised too. And this morning you might say, Greg, I want to be found in Christ that I could be in awe and wonder of him. All I'm going to ask you to do is if that's you, I'd love to pray with you this morning. And I'm going to ask as as guys have bowed their heads, as eyes are closed, not to embarrass you because you should never be embarrassed. This is the most important decision of your life. That you would just simply raise your hand and I could pray with you. So I'm going to give about 30 seconds. Just look around the room. Is there anybody who wants to pray that Jesus would be your Lord and Savior? You'd be found in Him. That you'd have a different fear of, the, of, of, of who God is. Just raise your hand and I'll pray with you. see a hand. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. I see two hands. That's fantastic. Three hands. That's great. That's great. This is about these people, guys. We're going to take a moment here. This is fantastic. This is fantastic. Anybody else, if you want me to pray, just put your hand up. The hand is just for me to acknowledge because God already knows what's going on in your heart. I'm going to pray for you. And as I'm praying for those guys with their hands up, My prayer is not going to do too much in your lives, but it's what you say to God now. You're asking God that he would would take you in. That you would declare that you can't do this alone. So Lord, we thank you for these hands that are raised this morning. They're all to you, Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would save them as you promise you will, as you love to do. That's why you died on the cross. That's what we sang about this morning, Lord. And Lord, those hands that are raised, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would take them into your counsel, into your presence, into your comfort. Save them, Lord, that they would know you. Save them from your judgment, from your punishment, from your wrath, but save them into this family, your family, Jesus. I pray this morning they would declare you as their King, as their Lord, and as their Savior. What a mighty miracle that is, Lord. Thank you, Jesus.